Hello, welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we talk about things from One Life Church, but ultimately things we just think that can relate to you and your one only life. My name is Sarah Inman. I'm back again uh, as one of the co-hosts of the podcast, and joined as always by co-host of the podcast and our lead pastor, Brett Nicholson. That's right. We're on a roll now. All yeah. right. Thank you. I, I feel good about that going forward. Yeah. It's Two episodes awesome. in a row. Two episodes in a row. We're technically recording them at the same time. I'm not going to lie to people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Well, I appreciate you being the one that wouldn't lie to people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we're going to continue a conversation that we started in our previous episode. We're going to call this part two uh, of talking about more questions that uh, here a few weeks ago we talked about on a Sunday morning. And Brett, tell us a little bit more. Remind people what that conversation started. Yeah, we uh, do a thing called One Life Explore Edition, which is a Sunday we try to structure more for people who do not believe and struggle with doubts and things. We want to create that environment. And so we've done different topics. We decided to do an all question and answer one. And we did get lots of questions. And we were not able to get to all of them. And so uh, we put them in this format, and we didn't get to a whole lot of them in this format last time. Uh, but we uh, will keep uh, going to keep going after those. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's why we're here. And um, Jonathan Pritchett and Braxton Hunter are here again uh, to uh, help us out with those because that's the world they live in is dealing with these kinds of questions and debates and everything else. And they're on YouTube too. It's it's worth pointing out. Uh, it's called Trinity Radio. Look it up. It is fun to listen to them talk and deal with their uh, things, and they've also been in public debates with atheists and and uh, and everything else. And they live in that world where people are probably a lot more aggressive than they would be in your typical church service, I think. And uh, so, and they they've they've learned how to, you know, I, I I've always admired anybody would stand up in a public forum uh, and debate someone that doesn't believe this stuff at all and wants to win and defend the faith. I mean, that's a pretty amazing uh, thing. I, I, I don't know that I would do that. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, those people cool. are actually nicer than you think. It's yeah. their followers who are pretty, ugly. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So they have, personally, ugly. okay. Their yeah. followers can uh, get a little, Braxton, he's had uh, all manner of horrible things said to him. Yeah. 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 You're right. It is, it is the most, uh, it can be one of the most stressful things. I'm one of those people that, <clears throat> is kind of, I don't know if I'm an introvert, you know, people don't think there's any way I am, but it's certainly an introverted quality that I have that I, I don't, I don't even really look forward to public speaking. And that's what I've done my entire adult life. Right. So you're going to do public speaking and then that guy's going to tear you apart, try to tear it apart. Yeah. That's a little stressful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. Right there in front of everybody. And you're representing the Christian faith. Right. Yeah, just, yeah. No pressure. A, no yeah, pressure. Yeah, it's not just representing Braxton. It's that's representing right. Jesus. And God all loses if you lose. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. That's right. So it's, so I do, I stand in awe of that. It's, it's amazing talent. So uh, it, it really that. is very cool. So, and I would say even on this, when we're talking about questions, and I think we always try to say this when we have questions on the podcast we've done this a bit in the past a different kind of format here um where these questions were just asking anybody to ask basically anything um that these are your guys's you know opportunities to express how you would answer these but there's probably other ways to answer them too and people can sure. find other ways to do that but we want to give you an opportunity to just hear someone have some conversation about it so so uh, I'm, I'm going to start off with some things that are uh, that are a little bit different than your typical affair and these kinds of things. And, and one is, um, where are people who have already passed away? Um, 
are they in heaven or are they still in the grave? And I'm sure some of this comes from you know, someone who may have lost someone recently or something like that. Or we all are curious about the big, and I, and I appreciated that Braxton did on um, in, back in January, One Life Explorer edition. He did a thing on near-death experiences and talked about, and you've also written a book uh, on um, called Death as a Doorway, mm-hmm. uh, there where you've spent time really processing this question. So um, uh, where are the people who have already passed away? Are they in heaven? Are still in the grave. So there, the, the dominant view throughout church history is when we people don't usually think through the. I mean, I shouldn't say people don't usually think. Many people don't think through this, even though they're sitting in the pews every week, and they have these views. They haven't necessarily thought about how they interact with each other. So the the typical. So you might say about your grandmother who was a Christian who died, you know, several years ago. You might say, well, she's in heaven now, and. Um, you're imagining the physical body of your grandmother, perhaps, in your mind, because you have to imagine something. But notice that Christians believe, and I'm drawing your attention, if you're a listener, perhaps to your own awareness that Christians believe this, that maybe you haven't thought about these things together, that when, when, you, uh, when Christians die, um, our bodies go out in the grave. But, uh, but we, if we say then that grandma is in heaven, what exactly do we mean by that? Well, her physical body isn't there. And one day, in the end, we're all going to be raised, judged, and then we're going to have our, our glorified physical bodies again. So when we talk about the ultimate state, what we would call the new heaven and the new earth, um, when, resurrected, when, the, when the earth is resurrected and we'll have resurrected bodies, um, and the experience will be a perfect one, but it will not be dissimilar in that regard from how it is right now. That means that in the period without a physical body between if someone dies right now and when God resurrects them for the judgment, where, where is this place? What is this experience? Well, there are a couple of things in Scripture that indicate that maybe there is such a place and why, that's why Christianity has so long um, affirmed it. So one of those would be Luke chapter 16 where we see the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus talks about um, these two. The rich man is in what we would describe as a hellish place of fire and torment and then the... Uh, uh, the uh, Lazarus is in a place called Abraham's bosom that seems more of the heavenly sort of place, and there seems to be a chasm between them. And so Christians have often looked at that and said that is evidence that Jesus is actually describing the intermediate state. Um, however, uh, that's, not, that's not like uh, something that's not disputed. It could be that Jesus was taking a well-known story from the period that was Greek um, and putting a spin on it such that it's actually the poor man who is uh, the blessed one and the rich man who's in this sort of hellish experience and got what he deserved that way. Um, but for throughout most of church history, the belief has been that there is this intermediate state and that those people are conscious right now. And when G- Peter, Paul says things like um, absent from the body and present with the Lord seems to indicate things like that. There are Christians who don't believe that. They believe in what's called soul sleep, that based this is like a version of Christian physicalism that, believe it or not, says we don't have souls. Can you imagine there are some Christians that think we don't have souls? And I have friends like that, and they believe we just go into a period of basically not consciousness, you know, just to sleep, basically, but with no dreams until the resurrection. But most of church history has said, for the reasons that I've given, that now it's actually um, there's an intermediate state, and we call that heaven, and uh, and and people are having experiences there now, and you will if you die, and the Lord has not yet returned. So, but you will not have uh, in that state of physical existence, which is an interesting yeah. thing to think about, right? Right. 
Yeah. What is the nature of that experience? Yeah, right? That's right. We won't know. Well, uh, and how do you, do you recognize? Do I see through you? Do you look like you in uh, in your intermediate state? Your if Luke state? sixteen is yeah. is describing the intermediate state, yeah. which I mean, on the face of it, it looks like it is. Then we do know something. It does seem to be a somewhat uh, an experience that has a physical component to it. Yeah, yeah I mean, what if water to dip on his tongue and so forth? So, so yeah. I've even heard some Christian figures too. Maybe it's like. Maybe it's like a virtual reality experience of the world since you don't have a physical body, which as ridiculous as that might sound on the face of it, we actually are able to do that right now. So why is it so crazy to think that God can ensure that you have what, in some, however you want to phrase it up, is a meaningful experience with events taking place before you have your physical body. But what God wants seems to be a, a physical and a spiritual existence. Yeah. Well, this is kind of related to it. This is some, uh, another question someone asked along these lines is, uh, can a people who have passed away see us on earth? Which is but, a great question. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you <laughs> but, don't? But there, I mean, some people would say yes, because uh, in the Catholic tradition, they prayed to the saints, for example. Right. And, and what they would argue is, well, you believe that they're existing, don't you? Well, if you're going to ask your friend at church to pray for you, why wouldn't you ask people that you also think exist in heaven to pray for you? And if you're asking them to pray for you in the petition, it seems like they could actually have some idea what's going on down here to be able to understand what you're asking for. Um, so there is that idea. And, of course, just in our common language, we always want to think that, oh, your mom and, or your grandma's looking down on you from heaven and smiling and all of that kind of stuff. Um, me personally, I, I, I'm fine with just saying I don't know. I don't have a problem with it conceptually, but when I think of like my own dad who passed away and is in heaven now, and if I were to get to heaven and say, did you look down on me? He'd probably say, no, I've not had enough of that, so... <laughs> I mean, look, look where I'm at now. I mean, why, why would I? Why, why would, would I care I what you're doing? Time doing? Yeah, it might ruin my heaven experience. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so that could happen. Yeah. Well, okay. Not you to wonder, say that, do you have yeah. the option? You know, like, are there? People? Yeah, you could do it if you wanted to. While you're up there, you're in the immediate state thing, and I want to check out how and that's my kind son's of like, doing. It's kind of like a Hollywood thing, right? You know, you've right. seen movies where people are looking down, or like you see yeah. even as a comedy, look through a telescope, you know, to look down, see what's going on in heaven, or even like, you know, we. Um, we talked a couple of times in some other conversations about the good place, you know, where they're able to see what's going on, you know. Um, and I think people want to think that. Yeah, and, and we know from Scripture that the angels transverse back and forth, and yeah. and, and they can also just look down from the heavens and... and, and and the saints under the altar in the book of Revelation right. are asking, why have you not judged these people on the earth right now, basically? Yeah. Which seems to imply that they know what's going on. Right. Of course, that's in a book that is replete with apocalyptic imagery. And so what what do you do with that? How far do you take that? Um, in Hebrews, they're staring over the rafters of heaven. Or, or what, what is it? No, no. The cloud of witnesses. Cloud of witnesses. Yeah, my, cloud mom of witnesses. Always, my mom always follows that with, that's like they're staring over the rafters of heaven. And I'm like, uh, yeah, maybe, Mom. I, I, I don't know. But I, 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 in any case, if that does happen sometimes, like you said, doesn't mean it's happening all the time with everyone. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the cloud of witnesses, uh, just going back to hermeneutics, could just be in the sense that this is your company. The tradition. Right. And, but like I said, so the answer to the question is definitely maybe. Definitely maybe. I think that'd be interesting, though, to find out when that first conversation of that started. I mean, I'm sure historically you have to, I'm, I'm probably not going to go look for it, I'm just going to be honest, but like maybe somebody <laughs> is really interested in finding it out because someone would have started thinking that or asking that question. Where did that start? When people started saying, oh, they're looking down on you. Like even that phrase is just something that people say. Or I think when you have people say something like, um, 
like a, I don't know if they say like a something just made them think like, oh, that so-and-so just noticed me or thought of me or um, something happened in the room and I'm like, oh, that's my grandma, you know, looking down on me. Like I've heard people say things like that before. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's my grandma doing things in, in the dining room right now. The, you, you, the you, leak you, in your uh, office is actually somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You had to bring that up. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Why yeah, does grandma want my office to be? <laughs> yeah, no. that's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the joke is my office just got carpet for the first time just within the last few days and there's already a giant water spot all over it because the roof leaked. The so. things that happen so, after I leave. Things okay? that happen. That's right. That's right. Okay. Okay, so uh, I, I remember getting this question when I was in high school from a friend of mine. I had never heard it before, but it goes back, and I've heard it over and over since then. But it is one of those things that people do bring up. And I think pre- this doesn't sound like a really of a searching question, but we've all heard it one form or the other. Can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? No. <laughs> okay well there you go we can move on i I like the simpsons version of this question can god make a burrito so hot he can't eat it (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's the homer simpson version but i remember i was i was i had my i was going through one of my god trips in the uh, in in high school and i went kind of in and out of the church and i had my bible with me and a a friend of mine sat across from me and he he launched in he said we're dinosaurs which is one of the questions we got and then he said that one i was like what i I had never heard it before but it is used a little bit every now and then yeah and and um and and it's one that that in like the philosophy of religion, like the academic level of all this stuff is is kind of laughed. It's almost mentioned as a joke, but to an average person who's just encountering that concept, it's a fair question. So I think we ought to treat it as a fair question. I had to learn the answer at some point, and I think that the answer that that makes the most sense is what Christianity has never meant by the doctrine of omniscience that God or omnipotence that God is all knowing. What Christianity has never meant is that God is able to do things that are logical impossibilities. Now, when we say God can work the impossible, we mean God can do amazing things that wouldn't be that wouldn't be possible for anyone else. What we don't mean is that God works nonsense and logically contradictory things are nonsense. So, what is a logically contradictory thing? Well, if you think about something like a square circle or the idea of a married bachelor, think about that concept for a minute. There's no such thing as a square circle, and there can't be. If someone says they saw one, they're lying. And it's not because I've been all over the world and I haven't fa- all over the universe in a spaceship and I haven't found any square circles. There can't be because they're impossible on the face of it. It's logically impossible. A married bachelor is logically impossible because by virtue of being married, a person is not a bachelor. By virtue of being a bachelor, a person is not married. And so these are things that we, we can look at and we say they're, they're logically impossible. So God, is, so God can't do them then. Right, but not really, because as C.S. Lewis uh, pointed out, that God, that God not being able, if we want to use that language, to do non-contradictory things isn't something God can't do, because those aren't things. Those are nonsense. So can God make a square circle? That's a nonsense question. All right, and in a similar way, if you're asking a, a question that would result in an immediate contradiction, like can God create a rock so big that he can't uh, pick it up like that, then what you're dealing with there is a logically a logical impossibility, and Christianity has never held that about God's omnipotence. God is able to do anything that is not logically contradictory. And if you don't like the way it sounds, maybe because it doesn't sound quite um, uh, holy enough to say, well, God can't do logically contradictory things, well, don't worry because those aren't things. So there isn't anything God can't do. Those are nonsense. They're not things. Yeah. Okay, uh, let me 
shift gears pretty radically here, uh, but I remember this one came up, and I wish we could have gotten to it at the 11. It came up at the 9 a.m. on Sunday, and, and I want to speak to this, and I think, uh, Sarah, you'll also be able to have some input as well. It's just it's good conversation. Uh, does uh, God recognize suicide as a mental illness? For people who have lived a faithful Christian life, can they be redeemed and spend eternity in heaven, um, presumably if they do uh, take their own lives? And, um yeah, I appreciate it being asked, and like I said, I wish we um, could have gotten to it. But Jonathan, you look like you had a well. I was going to say, I uh, I believe that I don't necessarily the way the question was framed. Someone need not even have a mental illness to get driven to the point of suicide, yeah. right? Um, but whether they do or they don't, I firmly believe that if that person is is a faithful Christian, that person is. Uh, you know, ascends on to heaven yeah. and, and, and then awaits his resurrection with the rest of the believers. Jesus died for our sins. Right. Jesus died for our sins and he put his trust or she put his or her trust in Jesus. And so Jesus saves people who believe. And there's nothing about the sin of suicide that I see is fundamentally different than the sin of killing multiple people like the Apostle Paul did, for example. I would have, it almost seems like, I mean, I'm not to sound crass, but I wish Paul would have offed himself instead of all the Christians that he went after. You, you see what I'm saying? So I think. <laughs> no I'm, no one's ever said it to me before. Right, so I'm what I'm saying is, uh, I think that what Paul did was much worse than what we could think of somebody committing suicide right? Okay. by lots. Yeah. And if God is going to redeem Paul, or David, who 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 has someone killed while faithful. You know, I mean, we could argue Paul did that before his conversion, but David was faithful and had Uriah killed. Right. Uh, that's horrible. And so I, I don't see what fundamentally different that between God's ability to redeem people who kill other people, but not somehow redeem someone who is a faithful yeah. Christian who who committed suicide. It makes zero sense. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's a curiosity to me because uh, I I know that that entered the popular mindset somewhere back there because as I've interacted with people and I have, uh, I've dealt with families and, and, uh, in my own family, uh, I've seen that happen and had to deal with it. A very dear friend of mine uh, took his own life, but I know that people have repeated <coughs> back to me. Uh, they repeat back to me things they think are in the Bible. Things like, you know, uh, <coughs> God won't give you anything you can't handle is the, is the most famous Bible verse. It's not in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's repeated back to me all the time. But that has been thought of. You can tell it's been thought of as a thing, like an automatic out is if you commit suicide, it's an automatic ticket to hell. I, I guess my question would be for you guys, as you look historically, where do you think that came from? Was it a doctrine it of, come, of the early church? Or was it, oh, go ahead. I, I think it arises pretty naturally to um, control behavior to a certain degree. I mean, it, it's, it's best that you don't kill your... We don't want people killing themselves. So an easy coverall is tell them if you kill yourself, you're going to hell. I mean, that... that but then there's also right. another, um, also somewhat colloquial sort of way of thinking it is, well, here's a sin that you never got the opportunity to to repent of, right? Yeah, which is yeah, that's kind of the logic that goes there, right? Way. And right. but but the thing is, uh, first of all, someone conceivably could have a situation where they were able to repent, but we still don't want them to do that. And then, um, and and then, secondly, are, are we to say about an idea like this that Billy Graham, for example, you may not know who Billy Graham is, but he was like 
the biggest evangelist of the 20th century and maybe the biggest evangelist who's ever lived, you know. And uh, reporters tried to find things in his life that were shameful and nobody ever was able to. He was like Fred Rogers, you know, like Mr. Rogers, you know, just, just great that way. Not to affirm any particular thing uh, uh, in his uh, theology. We'd have to look at all that. But um, if Billy Graham were to tell a lie and then die after this incredible life of service, is he going to hell just because there was a sin that he didn't ask God for forgiveness for that he committed as a Christian after he was a Christian? Well, I think we'd all say that's pretty absurd, right? And part of the reason it's absurd is not just because it seems ridiculous on the face of it, but also because Jesus died to cover the sin of the world. And so born-again, Bible-believing Christians who have identified with him and trusted him, their sins are covered. But I think what's so difficult about a question like this is that, on the one hand, that is very uh, helpful and and brings a lot of hope and and comfort, perhaps, to someone who knows someone, a loved one who's a believer who committed suicide. But at the same time, we, we don't want to in any way motivate or take away a reason not Right. Uh, uh, that you you might end up committing suicide, uh, someone does this themselves. But the thing about it is, I just think this is the on, this is the honest uh, choice from Scripture. And my father and I together, um, oh, since uh, since 1990, uh, and I started in 2005, have spoken in public high schools about suicide uh, to teenagers, and we've spoken to over a million both of us put together and public schools. And we've had people come up and put pills in our hand. I was going to kill myself today. We've had all that kind of thing happen a lot. And um, this is what I think is really helpful that everyone needs to just remember this and etch it in their brain. And that is, if you're thinking about committing suicide, it is incredibly likely that that you are right now not thinking clearly. And you should never make major life decisions when you're not thinking clearly. Well, for one, I did not know that about you, Braxton. I learned something yeah. today. I was like, I was going to speak to this, but I thought, holy cow, he's, he's like an official authority. On I'm not subject. an authority, and I'm sure you would have better things to, to say. Uh, that's, that's amazing. I, I, I did not know that. And, uh, but I have what I do bring to the table is, first of all, I've wrestled with the subject in my own life, period, and suffered depression throughout the years that brought suicidal ideations and things like that. But And, and people... Uh, like I said, a very good friend of mine, uh, and he, you, he and I used to talk openly about it when we were together. And then one time, he actually did it, uh, and and so and I was asked to speak at his funeral, and so I really had to enter in to the wow. to the situation, and uh, and and explore that. And one thing Jesus says at one point, and it brings up a host of other questions, but he says all sins will be forgiven. Uh, all sins of, of men will be forgiven. And he lists off, you know, he lists off the things and he said, there's only one that can't and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and it gets into that. But that helped me because, oh, wait a minute, he didn't go on to say all sins will be forgiven except, he did give an exception, but it wasn't suicide. He didn't name that one at that point. And knowing and what happens with people who do commit suicide is that, like you said, you're not thinking clearly and we've all made choices at moments of difficult difficulty and pain that we wish we could take back and it's just suicide is so tragic because it's that uh, it's that permanent so, uh, solution to a very temporary problem yeah, that's yeah. Right. And, and that's and that's sad but i believe god knows the mercy of that you can get so down you can make that decision yeah the one regret. pushback i got is not that, that i get from my response it's not the what he said that it's not the sin you can't repent of it right because right. i mean if you committed a sin and got hit by a bus that you didn't repent for i mean it's that, that's not how this works, right. right? But the pushback I get is, doesn't that demonstrate that they were never really a true believer? Mm. 
Is yes, I've heard that guy. before and, as well. And see, my, my my response is, you don't want the last decision that you ever make or your worst decision to ever that you ever make to be the defining decision of your entire life lived. Mm, and yeah. so if you have no evidence of a, a faithless life while they professed Christ, then you, you, you have no grounding to say that just because of one thing that happened. Yeah. And so. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking in our staff meeting today about there are prophets, uh, Elijah being probably the most famous that helped me with his depression, that he would ask God, God, just take me. I mean, he didn't kill himself, but he said, you know, if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. So he reached that point, and that didn't show he didn't trust. He was just at the end of his rope, and you can have that. And we'll move on, but I, I did want to say one thing. I remember reading an article, I think it was in the Atlantic, where they there's only a few people that have ever survived uh, the jump from the, San Francisco, uh, from the Golden Gate Bridge. And lots of people have committed suicide, but there's been a handful that actually survived the fall. And every single one of them that they were able to talk to said, I immediately regretted it as soon as I stepped off. Oh, wow. And, and they also said, if one person would have reached out to me and touched me, I, I, I would have changed my mind. But that kind of, but that demonstrates the issue there that you're just in this spot where you take an action. And if you could, and I know, so my, my, my friend jumped off a building and I know mm-hmm. on the way back, I know he was like, what have I done? And uh, and so that's the way when I believe God shows mercy in those cases. Wow. Yeah. I, I just wanted to say, because you yeah. said something, and so I was thinking what I was going to say, and now I already have something to say, and I feel like I need to say it. But when <laughs> the person who asked that, or even anyone who's thinking it or asking that question in their mind, I think really what also they're, they're asking is they're grieving, right? You know, they're grieving someone or maybe yeah. grieving um, someone. And, and I think what they're asking is like, how can I grieve? Can I grieve in a way to know that they may, you know, be spending eternity with Jesus or, or am I continue to believe what someone maybe had taught me or said at a church or in another format that said, Oh no, and they're, you know, they're not with Jesus. So I think it's just a fascinating that all of you guys answered the same way in a way that probably is not what I would have heard growing up. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we all have that. There's that in their background and I had to explore it to get there because I was confronted with it uh, more than once. So, uh, so uh, let's, let's kind of, we'll have to close part two with this one, but I I had to say this one. So this, this will probably take a little time. (laughs) Um, I, someone said, I struggle to wrap my mind around the Trinity and I thought, well, okay, well, join the club. That's okay. That's uh, you know, it's, the the water's fine. Uh, come on in here. But uh, let's talk a little bit about that. How do we counsel people to, you know, embrace and understand this whole concept of the Trinity? I know it was obviously an early church problem because they spent a lot of time working with that stuff and thinking about it and articulating it, and well, especially in the face of criticism. Um, and so they came up with these formulations that were very tight in the language and everything else. But uh, how do we? help people kind of walk through that whole. Yeah. So I think that one of the, one of the things that hits people and maybe even kids growing up in church who are part of Christian families is it sounds like what you're telling me here is there's one God and three gods, but there's only one God, but there's three, but there's just one. That's what it sounds like you're telling me. Or or there's one person, but there's three persons, but there's really just one person. Now that would be a problem. If the doctrine of the Trinity said that there's one God who ex- there's one God and three gods, or one God who exists as three gods, that would be contradictory. That would be impossible, just like square circle. Um, if if it were the case that you had one person who exists as three persons, that would likewise be impossible. That's a contradiction. But what 
uh, Christianity has classically taught about the Trinity is that you have one God existing as three, or one God, three persons, right? One, let's just say it that way. One God subsisting of three persons or something like that. So you have one God and three persons. What that means is you do indeed have three different persons. So like if you're thinking when you hear the preacher preach and you say, well, hold on a second. Um, is Jesus talking to himself when he prays to the Father? No, these are distinct persons, but they're, but they're all one God. Now, what does that look like? Do we, can we get an image for that? Well, there's a lot of images that people will use for what the Trinity is, and some of them are heretical, even though I don't think most people mean for them to be because they end up teaching something that, uh, it, that isn't quite right, and, and that's very serious when we're talking about the nature of God. But I think a triangle is the image that was classically been used by the church, and I think it's a really great image because what you see with, three, uh, with the triangle is three distinct points. So the point on top is not the same as the one on the right or the one on the left. These are all different points, but that they, they are one triangle, right? And so you have one triangle, three points. Now, um, that is the classic explanation of the Trinity. In fact, you, if you Google the Trinity and just click Google images, you're likely to see very close to the top an old image of a triangle with lines in the middle of it too that kind of describes the Trinity. So it has the point on the top and a line going to the point at the bottom and it says is not so that it says like God the Father is not God the Son is not God the Spirit. But then they all point to the middle is and in the middle is God. And that's because you got three persons, one God. So I think a triangle is a great way of thinking about it. Yeah. And, and actually going back to all the, the heretical ways people come up with trying to talk about the Trinity, one of my fa- you can actually learn what the Trinity is by understanding all of those heresies of what it is not. So if you think about the, the well, it's like water, and water can be ice, and it can be vapor, and it can be liquid, and you're like, no, that's, that's the heresy of modalism. That's, that's, that's one God that changes forms, right? Yeah. okay. And becomes a different like state, like a it's person one person. It's time. still the same person, right? In different capacities, right? right. And so you can kind of get a sense of what the Trinity is by looking at what is what's a bad representation or a heretical representation of what the Trinity is not. So um, when you think about persons, you think about that is a different category of thing than being, because there's only one being that occupies the position God, but there are three persons who occupy that one God. If that makes sense, uh, you can you can point to that one God and say there are three persons who are that. Now, you but can there is only it. one that, but there are three persons: Father, Son, and Spirit that yeah. are that. That's right, and and th- and this can get so you can you can say something that is heretical, and what we mean by that is that is wrong in a way that like one of the early councils of the church said, okay, that's not Christianity. Yeah, you're going and to- so And so that's what we mean when we say heretical. So like we, we, you can do that really easily if you're not careful with thinking about the Trinity because we're talking about the nature of God and, and it's so, so important. So I don't, I'm not comparing this to the Trinity, but to draw out one point, if you've ever seen the Back to the Future trilogies, a trilogy, have you seen, Sarah, the Back to the Future trilogy? Now we're speaking my language I again. Thought so. I was going to yeah. right. bring That's you back in, sister. And so, uh, so in, in Back to the Future 2, famously, they go to the future of 2015. And we have flying cars and hoverboards, like actual hoverboards, not fake hoverboards like we have, and all that sort of thing. Well, you recall in the story, in the plot, <laughs> Biff, who is the villain, uh, the antagonist throughout the, the franchise, he... Um, an, the old version of him in 2015 gets into the time machine with a sports almanac 
and goes back to what is it 65 55 1955 yeah. yeah and and he's with biff himself as a young man like a teenager and so he's sitting in the car with his younger self and he's showing him the sports almanac and basically showing him you can make millions this way which of course that's what happens the film goes off the rails but um the interesting thing about that is what do you have there sitting in the car you have two persons who have one being biff tannen but these wow. are two different persons but they're sitting there talking to each other with unique experiences and i think that while that isn't the trinity that is a way that you can kind of conceptualize that this isn't impossible even if it sounds weird right oh, okay it's logically well. coherent yeah yeah. See, when you bring in Sarah's language, it all fits. Just works. Person, but what he is explaining movies, is actually man. the heresy of Benetarianism. Because <laughs> yeah, I only had two. I could bring the, the third Biff. No, and the, yeah. <laughs> the only thing that goes off the rails in any of the Back to the Future movies is the climax at the end of the third one. Yeah. So well, I don't want to hear that the, the show goes Or for off me, the rails it was the either. fact that they made sequels at all, but that's a whole other discussion. Oh, come on. The I, second I, one might be better than them the first fi- one. Yeah, think, those are fighting uh, words. The third one doesn't exist, though. Yeah, it was like sequels to the matrix i was like you shouldn't have done those this is like ninja yeah. turtles movies okay the third one doesn't exist <laughs> okay okay we, I, like we gotta, we I agree with that yeah secret of the ooze is where it ends yeah that was it <laughs> then they do some time thing and well, thank you and because the person said i'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around this so go out and watch back to the future too right? yeah yeah says yeah. the defender of kingdom of the crystal skull here yeah, indiana about, jones fourth yeah. movie yeah. Oh, oh really okay. he's the one that likes it I'm, yeah i'm the one yeah <laughs> Me, me and Shale the guy. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I thought we all walked away from that, going, "Well, uh, okay." Not so all of us. we got see, our money. So you guys ho- did whoever it. asked that question, hopefully, you can wrap your mind around it, and you can watch that show, and and uh, I, that that. Uh, that put it through the hoop for me that's good so thank you guys very very much we do have others and we will do a a part three and the the other thing is too is in our kickstart class uh we do during uh, we we walk people through our values one of our our values is uh, we believe you can bring your brain to church and we give people an opportunity to write down any questions and we have a number of questions uh from that experience that are different from the ones that were given in there so i think we're gonna just aim at that and continue to ask these and and uh, try to answer them as well and uh, i love the fact that there's uh, there, there's a lot of variety in here and so we have more coming so hopefully you can join us soon and and uh we'll talk about these things some more sounds great yeah, again right. you guys can if you want you like these types of questions more conversations like this you can listen to braxton jonathan at trinity radio search for you on youtube mm-hmm. yeah that's right and there's an actual url right what's the url trinity oh let's see uh youtube.com slash braxton hunter okay or you can just search okay, for Trinity like Radio okay. on there on YouTube. So, yeah, check that out. And another way you continue that conversation. Thank you guys again for part two. Thanks for uh, having Great us. conversations here. Brett, it's great hanging out with you again. Great hanging out with you, Sarah. I'm glad we didn't lie about you coming back. Yeah, me too. 